Psalm 41 in your Bibles. We just preached on Psalm 40. I'm not doing a series in the middle of the Psalms. It's just that's where I've been reading a lot the last few months. And so it's on my heart. Sometimes you want to share it. So Psalm 41. Let's read a few verses and then we'll pray together. Verse 7 says, All that hate me whisper together against me. Against me do they devise my hurt. An evil disease, say they, cleaveth fast unto him, and now that he lieth, he shall rise up no more. Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. But thou, O Lord, be merciful unto me, and raise me up, that I may requite them. By this I know that thou favorest me, because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. Our Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for how in the past few months you've spoken to my heart. I thank you, Lord, that these faithful people have come, set aside things that they could do, other endeavors, to be faithful to the assembling of ourselves together. And I pray you'll bless them for it. Bless your word to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to look again at verse 11. And in particular, I want you to notice three words. In David's testimony here, they're repeated, by the way, in other parts of the Psalms, that are really among, that, that are among the most intolerable words in today's pseudo-tolerant society. Verse 11 says, By this I know that thou favorest me, because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. Now the three words I'm talking about are the words at the beginning of the verse, and yes, they do present the kind of conviction, the kind of dogma and assurance, we'll talk about this in a moment, that a lot of people just can't abide. This, these are the words, look at it, this I know, David says. Now, he doesn't say this I wonder, this I surmise, this I hope, this I posit, this I wish. Now, he declares that he knows something, and again, this is found in other parts of his testimony in the Psalms as well. And if that's not enough to ruffle the feathers of the, of the hyper-open-minded in our society, then just add to that what it is that he knows. What is he such a know-it-all about? Verse 11, this I know, that thou, that is God, thou favorest me. He knew that God favored him. Now let me just ask you tonight, what do you know that you know that you know? There's a lot of things we don't know. I mean, we don't know if the Miami Dolphins are going to beat the Buffalo Bills this Sunday in the wild card game. Actually, we do know. They won't. Okay, we know that one. Bad example. <laughs> we don't know how the market will do this year. We don't know when or how the war in Ukraine is going to end up. We don't know what other craziness awaits in Brazil right now. We don't know what North Korea or Iran or... Russia might be capable of, capable of another year or two. The truth is, we don't know much of anything about the short-term picture of national or world affairs. We don't. People might think they do, but they really don't. There's a lot of things we don't know. The question is, what is it in the midst of this country and this world that you do know? King David, in writing this psalm, was in a quandary. Running from Saul who's seeking his life at every turn, hunting him down, 
He runs right smack into the middle and in the hands and the arms of his mortal enemy, the Philistines. These are the Philistines, of course, the same ones who despise David with all of the core because he defeated their great hero, Goliath. So he's chased, he's running, he's captured. There's a lot of things that, about the near future that David does not know. And we can all embrace that, we can all attest to that, identify with that. Our knowledge is confined. However, we as God's people, I say, can also testify right along with David that in spite of this near universal ignorance about our circumstances in the future, we can truly say as believers and followers of Christ, this I know, thou, God, favorest me. Now, there are some things I want to discuss about that with you because I want to say this about Satan and his wiles and his attacks. If there, you know, Job said, that which, that which I greatly feared has come upon me. What was the worst thing that happened to Job? If you give his whole testimony in the book of Job, the, the single thing that he hated about his situation the most was that he thought God had turned on him. He thought God was against him. Couldn't see him, couldn't feel him. If there's one thing that Satan wants to do to you, he wants to get you to think and to believe that, that everybody's against you, that nobody's for you, and certainly that God is not. Three things I want to say. It's all in the text. And the first one, number one, is this. Someone is against you. Now, please get this. Someone, and I'm very careful about the wording, someone, yes, is against you. Look at verse 5. Mine enemies speak evil of me. Mine enemies speak evil of me. Look at verse 6. If he come to see me, he speaketh vanity. His heart is pride. His heart gathereth iniquity to itself. When he goeth abroad, he telleth it. He's just spreading. Verse 7 says, All that hate me. Hate me? Why would you hate King David? I mean, look, clearly, folks, David had people against him that we, and the Bible calls his foes, avowed enemies. But it wasn't just his foes. Verse 9, Yea, mine own familiar friend. That's a close friend. In whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread. He was, he was at my table. Hath lifted up his heel against me. That's a reference to betrayal. In other words, not only did David have foes, enemies that were against him, he also had friends go against him, people he loved. And that's not all. Because if you consider for a moment his men like Absalom and Adonijah and Amnon, his own sons, then you realize that he also had family against him. The foes, the friends, the family. They rose up against David at one point or another so that he once testified in Psalm 69, he said, they that hated me without cause are more than the hairs of my head. That would be two in my case, but how many in David's case, we don't know. It's a reminder, beloved, for all of us tonight that somebody's against you. Somebody's against you. And this is not a means of making anybody here, certainly not me or anyone, it's not a means of making you paranoid about this or some sort of conspiracy theorist. 
that you're a perpetual victim. The man is against you. The government's against you. The black helicopters are against you. The man trying to keep you down. I'm not saying that everybody's against you. No, in no way, shape, or form have I ever promoted victimology, and you know that. I'd never say everyone is against you. You know, Elon Musk is from, was born in South Africa. And he made hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars from companies that he started, PayPal and XCOM. And he founded SpaceX and Tesla Motors with that money. He founded PayPal just so he could make money to start Tesla, electric cars. And some of you in this room know this, but there's actually a pretty big conspiracy theory network out there that says that Elon Musk is an alien. That a while back, he crash-landed on Earth. And the only reason he started Tesla and SpaceX is he's using us to one day come back to this planet so they can continue their plans to eventually harvest Earth's resources. Probably our batteries, I would think, at this point. But an alien... I mean, don't look now, folks, but the aliens are against you. I'm not saying that everyone's against you. I'm saying that someone's against you. And if you're a child of the living God tonight, that somebody starts with Satan. The devil, Lucifer, his whole kingdom. If you want a conspiracy theory that's not a theory, no, if you want a conspiracy that's not a theory, Peter said, be sober and vigilant. Vigilant, your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And this is the same Peter who heard our Lord say, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you like wheat. He wants, he's against you. And beloved Christian, all Christians, should recognize that somebody is against you. And it's really the height of folly. And it's a prescription for falling If a child of God doesn't recognize and understand and accept all of the warnings and the admonitions in this book, in the Bible, about our common enemy, Satan is against you, recognizing the evil, the opposition. Look at verse 7 again. All that hate me whisper together against me. You know, Satan's also the accuser of the brethren. All that hate me whisper together against me, against me, do they devise my hurt. They whisper together. They devise. That means they make plans, schemes to hurt me. Who's the they? Who's out there trying to get me? I can tell you, anyone Satan can use, which begins with every single lost person, Billions of people on the planet right now. Every single year, with every single graduating class, you have a few numbers, thankfully not a lot, but certain number of young people who graduate high school and gradually through college drop out of fellowship and service to Christ. They're AWOL, basically. They put down their arms, they take off their uniform as a child of God, And they lose their identity with Jesus by decision and they just live their lives entirely for selfish pursuits. What happened, Pastor? I can tell you that typically, in most cases, these are the young people who just didn't think they had any spiritual enemies. They just didn't take seriously the warnings of Christ. 
about wolves and lions and being devoured. They didn't care about the whole armor of God. The Bible's clear about that, right? Because you have to take the whole armor of God. They didn't do that at all. So thinking that they are above all that, that they are free and intelligent and self-sufficient and strong, they're actually a prey, sifted as wheat. And invariably, their joy they once had is replaced with cynicism and scorn. Look at verse 2 of our text. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth, and thou wilt deliver him. Look at what the wording of this. And thou wilt deliver him unto the will of his enemies. Will not deliver him to the will. Did you know that your enemies have a will? They have a desire. Someone's against you, and they have a will. And they will to do certain things against God's people. I read an article today about last night's Golden Globe Awards. These are essentially all of the television and movie actors and actresses and producers and writers, directors from the productions of last year. And in the article, I was reading all of their comments or the ones that were in the article strutting like peacocks with all their money and their power and their fame. And I have to tell you this. I read some of the acceptance speeches. I was waiting for something in line. And you know what their acceptance speeches showed? Same thing it shows, I'm sure, every year in every award show. Absolute, complete contempt for you and what you believe. I hope you know that, right? I hope that know when you celebrate this movie and this TV show and this and you just love these people and that they, when they really get to say what they want to say, they say you absolute contempt for this Bible. Several of them singled out the state of Florida. Interestingly, the wards are in California. They singled out the state of Florida because Floridians don't want their little children brainwashed and sexualized by deviants. So they hate us for that. And it's not that they just disagree. They don't disagree. They hate this book and those who follow this book. And your enemies have a will. And if they could have their way with their will, they could do anything to your children. So for the child of God, what does it mean? Does it mean that we fret and worry? No, David also writes, fret not because of evildoers. And don't envy them. Does it mean that we have self-pity? Oh, oh, we're in the minority. Does it mean that we're supposed to rebrand our faith so I don't say the kinds of things I'm saying right now? Just change it, make it more palatable to Hollywood? When I was in high school, I put a quote in the front of my Bible. It's in my office still, one of my high school Bibles. And it was from a great 17th century preacher. And I wrote it in high school as a 17-year-old and had no idea how true it was. I just thought it was a good quote. Now I know it's good truth. He wrote this, the whole world is fortified against Christianity. Wait a minute, he wrote that in the 17th century. In the 17th century, Queen Victoria, you know, like a mighty army moves the church of God all over the world. 
This man of God wrote, the whole world is fortified against Christianity. What did he do about it? The whole world against us. That brings us to a second truth. Number one, someone is against you. Number two, someone is for you. Look again at verse 11. This is why we don't have a pity party. Why we don't worry and fret. By this I know that thou favorest me. By this I know that thou favorest me. Now I want want you to think for just a minute. Because David repeats these lines elsewhere in the Psalms and he says God is for us. Literally those exact words. God. I know God, my God is for us. But think about the glory and the wonder of that truth. David said, My enemy does not triumph over me. Read the whole verse. By this I know that thou favorest me, because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. My enemy doesn't triumph over me, and because he doesn't, I'm reminded of what I know. David says, I know this, God favors me, God is for me. Psalm 118 verse 6 says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. Why? God's on my side. He favors me. I used to read a lot of debates between Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, these guys that are popular on the internet and so forth, and frankly wasted a lot of time doing it, but I used to read them. And these guys spent their entire lives, as some of you know, these are avowed atheists, famous atheists, fighting, just spent their whole lives, Christopher Hitchens, till he died of cancer, last dying breath, fighting what he didn't even believe existed. Kind of odd, God. And of all the things, as I read these debates and sometimes listened to them while driving, of all the things that offended them and angered them the most, it was the biblical perspective that Christians know something, that believers are enlightened in a way that unbelievers are not. That stirred their wrath. Christopher Hitchens despised his own brother's assurance of salvation. Despised it. You can't know that. You can't know what you can't see. I can't see love. I can't see gravity. I can't see Jesus, but the Bible says, whom having not seen ye love. So, Pastor, how do we know? How and why do we know that God is for us? Well, more than anything else, look at the evidence in His Word. Just listen to what He says. If you look at God's own testimony to us and for us, because you know Romans 5.8 says God commendeth His love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us the ungodly. Those words mean something. 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God. How do you perceive that God... How do you perceive the love of God? Again, hereby... Here's how it happens. Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us. Not against us. For us. 1 John 4, 9, in this was manifested the love of God toward us. Not against us. The love of God manifested toward us, for us. Why? Because God sent His only begotten Son. 
Now look, you know this, we could go, you could go on all night long looking at the testimony of God himself, declaring that before the worlds were ever made, he was already for us. He was for us, think of this, when he smote his son. He was for us when his wrath fell upon Christ. He was for us when he sent his spirit to convict our hearts. He was for us when he spared our life. He was for us when he paid our debt. He was for us when he was raised, the Bible says, for our justification. He was for us when he ascended to prepare a place for us. That means that he was for us before we were born. He was for us as the I am. He will be for us after we die and for eternity. Get that in your heart. Satan doesn't want you to get that in your heart. And yes, as a Christian, you can say with David, this I know. Enemies, Philistines, Saul, this I know. God favors me. God is for me. In fact, God was for us even when we were against him. Wow. Not long ago, we noted from this pulpit in Scripture that God is with us everywhere. God's presence. It's one of the most oft-repeated promises in all of the Bible, but you do realize tonight that the reason that God is with us is that indeed He is also for us. Twice in the New Testament, both in Ephesians 5 and in Colossians 3, Christians are commanded to go to the Psalms. We're to be schooled, schooled by the Psalter and how to trust and think and pray. Well, beloved, here it is. Psalm 41 is your song. This I know, even though all this is happening, this I know, I know this much, you favor me. You're for me. Well, I'm a Christian pastor, but I don't feel like God is for me. Can I ask you a question? If somebody loves you, I mean really, agape loves you, are they for you or against you? Here in His love, the Bible says. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He loves you. He's for you. I mentioned a moment ago, I mean, uh, a few months ago, in one of the messages we preach here about George Matheson, Scottish preacher, 17th century, 1861, fell hopelessly in love with a girl. He was going to be engaged to her soon. A few days before the wedding, though, he went to a doctor who told him that he was losing his eye, doctor in Glasgow. The doctor gave him the bad news and he told his wife that it wouldn't be long and he would eventually go completely blind, his fiance rather, and his fiance, upon hearing the news, broke the wedding off completely. Told him she couldn't go through life with a blind man, even if he was a preacher. He went blind while studying for the ministry and his sister took him in took the responsibility of helping him as a blind man. Some years later, his sister got married herself, her own wedding, and that left Matheson to care for himself the remainder of his life. He never did, rem- he never did marry. The night following the wedding that brought fresh wounds to his broken heart was when he went to his little study and he sat down and wrote the words to the famous hymn, O love that will not let me go. 
I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thy ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. Love that will not let you go. You know why? Because God is for you. In 1887, Queen Victoria invited Matheson to come and preach at Balmoral. And he spoke on Job 19.26, Though worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Job said that? Job said those words? Yes, he did. Because eventually he knew that in spite of Satan's lies, God was not against him. God was for him. We said, number one, someone's against you. Number two, someone is for you. The third thing you'll notice is that therefore, number three, no one, no one can defeat you. Verse 11, by this I know thou favorest me because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. And as for me, thou upholdest me in mine integrity and settest me before thy face forever. What a picture that is. Settest me before thy face forever. I wonder if anybody here has been thinking about Romans 8 through this message. And especially verse 31, which says, If God be for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, what people on this earth think that God is for them? The people who believe Romans 8. If God be for us, who can be against us? Beloved, always remember that that great truth there in Romans 8 is immediately followed in verse 32 with these words. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. If God be for us, how do we know he's for us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. God is so for you that he was against his son on that cross if God be for us who can be against us doesn't mean the people aren't against us doesn't mean they don't hate us it means they can't defeat us it means they can't defeat you unless you surrender like those young people I mentioned that graduate unless you yourself surrender you know the business world had a little fad for a while talking about synergy. I still see it here and there once in a while. There are always fads in the business world because they got to sell books. Synergy is the whole idea that, you know, the whole, the whole is greater than the simple sum of its parts. So that when you have a merger like Time and Warner, Time Warner, you put them together, it's supposed to make this new organization ten times stronger than the two organizations would be apart. And they use these images sometimes. I've seen them use a pencil. You can break a pencil in half, snap it. But if you put two pencils together, it's a little harder. Put ten pencils there, and it's really hard. Let me tell you what real synergy is. If you really want to be strong as a child of God. Don't, you're the pencil. Don't just join the pencil to another pencil. Join it to a one-inch rod of tungsten or titanium. So you see, it's not the pencil that's strong. It's not the pencil that's unbreakable. It's the one that's for the pencil. If God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 13, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting. 
and to everlasting. Amen and amen. I'm going to ask you tonight, what do you know? What do you know for certain? What do you know for absolute certain? That you know, that you know, that you know it. And Satan doesn't want you to know it. What do you know? Pastor, I don't know what the doctor report is going to say tomorrow. I don't know why I'm in this place in my life. I don't know that. I don't know the future of our nation. Who does? You know, the very fact <laughs> that our nation, our nation is in decline any nation's in decline that grounds all of its planes, the Secretary of Transportation is off with his husband, taking maternity leave after maternity leave, and they know nothing. Nobody knows the future of this country. Not the way it's being led. Nobody knows who's going to win this insane billion-dollar lottery. Nobody even knows where those offshore whales are headed that everybody's been talking about. But so what? So what about the things we don't know? It's a brand new year. I don't know, Pastor. I don't either. 1 John 2.20 says, Ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. You ever think about that verse? That word unction means an anointing. It's a, it's a gift. That verse by John, it's a powerful text, the whole text there. It basically says, you know all things. What? All things? You just said, Pastor, we don't know where the whales are headed. No, what he means is that God's people, that Christians, by God's gift, by this unction, they know everything that matters. They know everything that matters, including God is for you. As much as Satan tries to be against you, and he does, never forget, beloved, that God favors you. Isaiah 49, 16 Behold, God says, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Sounds like God is for you. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, you know, the guy from Houston up here saying, God favors you. That means you're going to win the lottery. That means you're going to drive a big, nice, fancy car. That's not the favor. The favor is a billion times infinitely greater than that. God knows you. He loves you. He has eternal plans for you, and your enemies cannot triumph over you. So the best thing for us to do is what David says here in this chapter, trust him. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Father, we are thankful for your word. And Lord, we know that we can testify based upon all the evidence of all the scriptures, of all the promises. Christ died for us, for us. We know, Father, we can testify as well with David. Thou favorest me. And as much as Satan and the evil one and deceivers would try to convince us that you, are, you don't favor anyone over another, please, Lord, help us to believe your word, your promises. And in believing them, Lord, be triumphant. We'll praise you for that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. 
That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.